Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the games beyond Baldur's Gate. And now we're playing Planescape Torment, and this will be the last time I mention Baldur's Gate in the intro. I'm Cameron, and I play the Nameless One. And I'm Danny, and I play the Nameless One. We're in Planescape Torment, and there are not different characters. <laughs> you can create your <laughs> character. We really in... goofed it with this format, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we 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 did we did a bit of a goof. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? I think we're gonna do is I think we're gonna refer to our nameless one as Ticklevar and Balthazar. Maybe what if what if this one's not Balthazar at all? What is it then? I think you know. I don't think I do know. Is it Dressit Dorden? Well, do we ever get to name the nameless one? No. Never? No. It's the nameless one. Oh, it's Stan Malone. <laughs> is that one name in in the in the world of fantasy is that one long name? No, 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 no. It's a it's a it's a first name and a surname. So yeah, so now now we're playing. We're this is what is this game? 44. What is this new game? What do you mean? What is this game? You said you said uh, two hours ago. Hey, get this game. What is you it? You think I said? Is this this is the fiction you're you're spinning up here? <laughs> that I told you two hours ago what we were doing, and I just mm -hmm. I've pressed you into doing so. Yeah, sure. Oh gosh, we're playing Planescape Torment, which mm -hmm. is a video game that came out around the same time as Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two. I believe it might be in the middle. Let me look it up. I should have looked this up before. Yeah, we thought yeah, nineteen ninety nine. So mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate is nineteen ninety eight. Icewind Dale is two thousand. Baldur's Gate Two is two thousand. So Planescape Torment's right there in the middle. Okay. Made with the Infinity Engine, the same uh, basic system that operates the other games so in terms of chronology what we're looking at uh, what we're looking at here is a game that uh perhaps could have learned some lessons from the initials baldur's gate but the baldur's gate 2 and the kind of everything past uh you know obviously uh siege of dragon spear um these are games that took place uh, that were made after planescape torment mm -hmm. yeah so if um you know, if there's lessons to be learned, then Baldur's Gate 2 would have learned lessons from this game. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to learn. You know, this is purely subtractive. Mm -hmm. um, we really goofed it again. Man. Going back in time. No, I think mm -hmm. it is perfectly fine. Uh, but we aren't playing that edition from 1999. We're playing the Enhanced Edition that came out last year? Thank goodness. 2017? Yeah. I believe this one came out. You know, you know what I really don't enjoy? I don't enjoy uh, playing like a god some 480 resolution on my on my big beautiful monitor. So thank goodness for the enhanced edition. I believe that I played this game in like 1920 1080 and <laughs> 2012. Mhm. Mm yeah, yeah, it has to be 2012. I played it then with a, a widescreen uh, mod like a, uh, I played the the GOG the GOG.com uh, version of it, which worked really well. Except there's one screen in one building that you have to go into late oh, in the game, no. and it had like a some sort of video file or GIF that played in it. And if it was displayed on the screen with the widescreen mod, it would just straight up crash the game. And so Brilliant. I had to to pixel by pixel move my character across the screen in such a way that it would never be displayed. <laughs> and that's how I beat the game. 
Good. Uh, the, the last time I played it. So yeah, so we got some widescreen options here. You know, glorious 1920, 1080. Uh, we get some much better UI options, the kind of um, hold tab to see containers and all that kind of stuff from the Baldur's Gate games is in this. Um, and just, you know, general quality of quality of life stuff. Yeah. So it's good. I guess before we talk about the setting, are you playing with any other options, any other weird stuff? Oh, yeah. So I think with the Enhanced Edition, it included a bunch of options, some that were included with the base game, some that were not. Um, I turned on max HP on level up because that's what we were doing with uh, Baldur's Gate, even though I, I have a feeling that in this game, with the type of character that I've created, that's not going to be as relevant. Um, also, I turned off gore because who needs it? With uh, Al Gore. He had his chance. I know. And God, <laughs> he's in exile in Reykjavik now, huh? <laughs> yeah. One can only hope. That's better than the reports. alternative. That's only alternative. I know. Gosh. Reykjavik or Wyoming, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Golly. Poor Al Gore. Al Gore approached Jill Stein at a rally. With- gosh, tell me about this. Uh, so, so I've played this game before. Yeah, and I've never. I've. This is the first time I've booted it up. How did you? How did you miss this game back in 1999, or whenever you played all these other Baldur's Gate games? The, uh, I think I was kind of turned off by the cover art. Really? Yeah. Big blue guy. Big blue guy with like messed up skin, like a bad, mm-hmm. like really needed to see a dermatologist. Mm-hmm. He's got like cool dreadlocks mm-hmm. or something. His hair's his his hair's doing stuff. Yeah. And you were just like, not on my watch. I need a big skull in a circle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's my game. Hmm. Well, okay. That, yeah, that's, I a, that's what happened. That's not what happened to me. I bought it. I bought it at a Walmart for like you $10. Saw, you saw that blue skin and you were like, sign me up. Mm. I was like, ooh, it's like a weird blue Robert Smith. And he looks like he he's doing stuff over there. This is like some straight up like preteen Kunzelman just in the in the Walmart aisle, just slapping his knee when he sees when he sees the Planescape Torment that oversized box like it's a box the size of a. No, I got my copy probably like way later than that, and it was like in a jewel case. Oh, in like the bargain bin zone. Mm. Yeah, we've um, messed up as a society because you just don't see bargain bin. You don't see bargain bins for PC games anymore. <laughs> I want you to go to a Best Buy and show me the PC game section. <laughs> like, let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this game, I'm curious about. So I'm assuming that you watched the opening cinematic for this I game. I did. So I just, just get some impressions. Let's get the Danny impressions. Okay. The first, I think the the biggest impression is that, uh, is that I, I feel like tonally this is a very different game. From the Baldur's Gate games, there's like there's a like it feels like a break. Maybe not tone. Maybe tonally is the wrong word, but I just I, the the setting is it feels very different. It feels fresh to me. Um, when I say fresh, it may well be because that I am just like <laughs> that I am a kind of um, how you say I might be a little jaded on a lot of the aesthetic of the Baldur's Gate series. So. I don't know. That's kind of my first impression, right? Or what do you what do you mean by that? You Let me don't see. like it no more. I think we talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but 
I think that uh, I think that I had had my fill of Baldur's mm, Gate. I think I there see. was. This, mm-hmm, I think that there. I was kind of maybe getting a little fatigued. There are some people on our um, on our uh, you know, various uh, media forms that basically have told me that or that have told us, hey, maybe Planescape Torment is too similar to Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate. Yeah. Maybe you're still going to be burned out. And, and this isn't like a big enough gear shift. I think that the, uh, but with the cinematic, I didn't feel that way at all. It's kind of, I mean, let me give you the, my best recollection of the cinematic. It's kind of this first person flashes of like memories. And I get the impression, like I see this woman and I'm like, oh, I must've, this must've been a person I was in a relationship with. There's like this kind of, these kind of torture scenes is my memory correct here? Yeah, there's like a dude who drowns, and then it like there's like a crossfade into him stabbing you to death. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like people showing up multiple times in multiple roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's like there's nothing like this in the Baldur's Gate franchise. You know what? I will say one thing: Baldur's Gate One had dreams. You remember those dreams in Baldur's Gate 1? Yeah, where like, like, you woke up sweaty, thinking of murder. Yeah, or like the really trippy ones. And I wonder if those, I, I can't remember if those were um, Baldur's Gate 1 or Siege of Dragonspear, where you remember being on a boat that's like on a ocean of blood. Yeah, that's Baldur's Gate 1. Yeah, that's but, Baldur's Gate But those Gate are 1. like text only. They are you text know, only. Yeah, yeah you're totally right. But if those were made into cinematics, maybe you mm-hmm. would get something similar here. But there's a scene in this cinematic where you walk into a room filled with skulls on shelves, and then the skulls all turn to you. Yeah. Yeah, someone put some money. They were like, we need to show people all those things we wrote about in Baldur's Gate 1. Yes. Let's get on board. And I'm actually going to do... I didn't do any preliminary research for this, but I'm going to let you know... Go and look up, maybe see if there's like a GDC postmortem on this game. I'm going to get all the biographical info since I've played this game before and I have a pretty good memory of it. Mm-hmm. So that when we talk about these things in the game, I can be like, oh, here's a little factoid for you. Interesting. So I'll, I'll do that. I But the, the the cinematic ends with the the nameless one, the protagonist, the, the main character, stirring on a slab. And that's where the game begins. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, he gets wheeled in. And he's on that slab, and boom, mm-hmm. yeah. he, he wakes up. Mm-hmm. And then we're right into the action. Very similar, I think, to the opening of uh, Baldur's Gate 2 in our yes. Radicus's dungeon. It would be actually a similar kind of situation in terms of the, the nameless one, the protagonist, has basically no memory of what came before. And if you were to play Baldur's Gate 2 without playing Baldur's Gate 1, which is how I played Baldur's Gate 2 the first time, Mm-hmm. Um, you would have a similar experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, and I've, you I've lost like, all my memory. Yeah, exactly. And you can, at the beginning of Baldur's Gate 2, you can respond to all of those people by being like, I don't know who you are. I don't yeah. remember any of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which seems like they, you know, speaking of, of learning or a genealogy here, seems like there's some, some level design or narrative design uh, learning that's happening from this game to that game, which is good, I think. Yeah. So the first person you or being <laughs> mm-hmm. you talk to is a floating skull named Morty. Is or his Mort? name Morty or Mort? This is a good question. I think it is Mort. Like death. Mm-hmm. 
the Mort de Arthur. I don't know. But I don't his think character, says it. his character reads Morty though, right? I don't know. But but well, there's this kind of thing. Like, what do you, what kind of humor do you think it is? Is it is it more like um, like he's like a sidekick? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he's like he's like a little bit uh, scummy, mm-hmm. right? He's Mort, Ugh. Mm-hmm. Mort, or is he Morty? Is that fun loving guy? I think he can be scummy and still Morty. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I think that. There, there's Ooh. some. There's like almost like Marx Brothers humor that's happening here. Mm-hmm. There's some genealogy to his writing. I've said the word genealogy twice now on the podcast. It's my mm-hmm. uh, quota for the entire rest of the series. Mm-hmm. But there's something here about the way he is written as like almost like uh uh like Dustin Hoffman's character in Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> Mm. Like this, like streetwise guy who's showing you the ropes. No, he definitely uses a lot of kind of colloquialisms, and some of which seem artificial, like made up for this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of streetwise, scummy, very horny. He he is uh, he's the perfect skull for Twitter. Like there's <laughs> a very good uh, Twitter account to be made, and I am certain there's someone who is listening to this that will make this account before but you, you do. Oh, I'm never going to make it. But, you know, you just have Morty and, you, you you know, you put the little skull in there as the icon. You name it Morty. And then it's just normal ways that people talk on Twitter. No, <laughs> I think it like would be Morty and then it's a bot. And it just like every day posts a picture of a of like a dead person or a, or like a, just a skeleton and Morty talking about how hot that woman is uh-huh. from like just a, a ske- yeah just a skeleton it's like from the Victoria and Albert Museum and yeah. it's just like some random skeleton mm-hmm. being like oh I can't, I can't help it because <laughs> he's that kind of like gross right yeah legs for days things like that yeah yes mm-hmm. um, maybe femurs for days I don't know how I don't know where that humor lands yeah, I'm never gonna. I, I I don't think I'm a master of either of those uh, formats types of humor. Yeah, neither uh, necrophiliac humor <laughs> nor uh, like Andrew Dice Clay sexist humor from mm-hmm. the '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a Venn diagram that I'm not quite good at. But so he shows up and he's like, "Hey there, I'm your sidekick now." <laughs> it's very clear from the way that I'm being presented that I'm your sidekick. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Oh shit, there's a." <laughs> memento ass message on your back yeah it, it, it comes out uh it's kind of organic too like because he's like man you are cut up something fierce you know the your chest is pretty cut up but man there's a whole novel written on your back yeah yeah um, it, it, which gives you this like you can kind of see it on the character model i don't know how well you could have seen it in 1999 but this idea that like the nameless one this protagonist character is covered in scars and wounds and burns and all kinds of stuff and tattoos right like like literally his his i mean yeah his his life is written on his body Mm -hmm. and literally you know i guess the the biggest piece of useful um i don't know like paper is the back Mm -hmm. and so yeah so so the back has a message on it and the back basically says don't lose your journal and find Farid. Yeah. And uh, where's the journal? I can't find the journal. 
<laughs> There's no journal. There's no journal. <laughs> There's no I'm journal. asking about it. I ask everybody I meet about my journal. And yeah, they don't know what's up. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really great, like writing and design. Like already there are things that are happening in this game at this very opening conversation that I that think are, are so much more interesting than anything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I, you know, I hate to, I hate to be that, that person, but I said it for on. you. I didn't want, I didn't want, uh, I didn't want you to have to bear that burden alone, <laughs> but, but right. Like the, the creativity of this, the way that it's hooking you into this like longer narrative, like we know immediately that we need to go and find a journal. And we know that we need to find someone named Farad. Like, there and are it's two not that dogs. your backs had written on it. Go find the journal. This is what's mm-hmm. clever, right? Mm-hmm. Your back mm-hmm. said, "Don't lose that journal," <laughs> and you begin the game having already lost it. Yeah, and you're like, "Oh gosh, dang!" Mm-hmm. Like something has happened, and I really appreciate that. Um, just from, I mean, this this game gets talked about even today as like one of the crowning achievements of game narrative. And I don't know if that's 100% true. I don't know if I'm as, um, uh, I don't know, that I would evoke this every time. Mm-hmm. But damn, it is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, so we got to do those things. We got to find Farad and we got to find the journal. And really that means escaping this place that we are in called the Mortuary. Now, Mort, I'm going to use 50-50, Mort and Morty. Okay. Just just for maximum annoyance. But Morty um, informed, like, tells me a little bit about the mortuary. He says, yeah, this is kind of a place where this group called the Dustmen, like, accumulates corpses. And, and, uh, and I, like, you can, if you go deep enough in the conversation here and with a, with a conversation later, you can spend, like, 20 to 30 minutes just, like, reading the lore. There's a real lore dump here. If you want it, if you don't want it, you don't have to necessarily have to do it. But is it just me, or do you get a um, Gene Wolf vibe hmm. to this you, universe? Oh, I see. So you're talking about the Shadow of the Torturer, yes, um, with uh, this kind of like pseudo scientific or scientific slash fantasy kind of people who are concerned with death because that's what the dust the dust men are all all about right yeah and there is a there is this ritualistic religious component to it but they're also interfacing with like the greater economy as we later find out about like what Farad is right yeah so i don't know it's it, it there's a lot there's a lot there for me at least yeah so i mean maybe this is a good place to talk about it right so if Baldur's Gate is in the Forgotten Realms, which is just, like, swords and shields and spells. Yes. And, you know, thieves and backstabs and all the kind of stuff. Planescape is in, like, A, the Planescape setting. But B, it takes place in the City of Sigil, which is a city that... It's called the City of Doors, in fact. And it is a a nexus point for connections of the plane. So you can get from, you know... Uh, the Forgotten Realms to the Planescape D&D setting into mm-hmm. Sigil. And you can use Sigil as a way of getting to the Dragonlance setting or the Elemental Plane of Fire or, you know, wherever the the Solars live and, and the Nine Hells and the Abyss and all kinds of additional, like, massively proliferating f- planes in the middle. Like, it it is, a, it is the uber... <laughs> 
or the the meta level of thinking about uh, fantasy settings, fantasy and science. And so there's like spaceships that fly around, but they're magical spaceships and they can travel from the planes. And there are people with like big soul expending machines here. Um, and and I, I think that's right to like note the, the lineage from Gene Wolfe to here, because I think there's no world in which the original Planescape, you know, pen and paper setting pencil and paper, whatever, mm-hmm. that that is not directly borrowing from Gene Wolfe's kind of intermingling of all these different things. Yeah, and we have dealt with uh, Sigil, or at least Sigil has been mentioned on this podcast before. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there was a little quest in Baldur's Gate 2, I think kind of an intergalactic uh, bard troop may mm-hmm. have mentioned Sigil. They were intergalactic travelers. Um, the Gith Yankee or Gith Zera, I might have uh, mentioned Sigil. Uh, the the Planar Sphere, definitely. There there was somebody uh, from different... There were folks from different planes. I don't know if any of them talked about Sigil specifically, but... Yeah, yeah. there's one, because the halflings are from Dark Sun. Yes. The knights were from Dragonlance. Or, yeah, they were from Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I don't uh, think Sigil in particular, but we have this idea of the multiverse... Uh, you know, in the planes already. Which what this what this means is that in this game, the possible whereas in the Baldur's Gate, you're like, yeah, you're dealing with Forgotten Realms, and maybe occasionally we can snip it, we can like put in some weird stuff because of Sigil, because of the existence of Sigil. We're beginning in the Sigil home turf, which means anything is game. Yes, like um, we are in a we are fully immersed in the weird world of anything. Yeah, yeah. This is the place where D and D, like where it stuffed the '90s in some ways, yeah. right? So like, you know, um, anything goes. The kind of uh, like I was talking about, like angels and demons and devils and all kinds of stuff like that. But also like uh, the Sandman comic book kind of stuff, right? This like emotive, long lived, you know, the gothic the kind of high romantic, all these like different story types that don't mm-hmm. really fit necessarily in Dragonlance, which is like the highest of high fantasy or the forgotten realms, which is like grittier kind of fantasy stuff mm-hmm. like, like on the ground heroes, as it were like Planescape is the place where you can be a inner inner planar rogue, right. Who's just trying to like make ends meet kind of like pseudo cyberpunky kind of stuff. And or you, you could be like a, a sentient slime in a jar, and that's one of your party members. Yeah, and that's your boss. Like, the <laughs> sentient slime, like, sends you off to, to steal <laughs> things from Ravenloft and bring mm-hmm. it back here or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's it's designed to radically open up what D&D is doing. And it, and it kind of hooks into pre-existing stuff like Spelljammer that we've talked about before. Uh, if you heard me on the Idle Weekend podcast, like, a few weeks back, I... Or no, on the uh, Waypoint podcast, I mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> delivered a giant promo for Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's just like the weirdest stuff. So we are going to be seeing over the course of this game just the strangest things. I'm really excited for you to get to see these. I think you'll really, uh, I think you'll really dig them. I'm really psyched. I have to say that just my trounce around the mortuary was like a real breath of fresh air in terms of theme and like the kind of stuff that's going on. But um, so after we talk to Mort, 
we kind of we basically uh, fi- figure out there are a few doors I can't open. Like I can't open this door to a stairwell. Mm-hmm. So so you kind of just have to start working your way. Uh, it's it, you know the mortuary is kind of a circle, and there are these kind of pie slice chambers. Um, and you kind of start. You can work your way in a clockwise fashion. And after a, few, a couple of, uh, of of these chambers, where you see more slabs, and it's weird because it, it kind of has this torture vibe, but it's not really torture. It's kind of just like storage. It's more clinical than torture, you know. Yeah, because what the dustmen are doing that that we kind of like pick up over the course of this is that they receive dead bodies from the city, mm-hmm. and then they recycle parts of those bodies. And then they raise them from the dead as, like, servants. Mm -hmm. And when they're not doing that part of it, they are just, uh, like, annihilating people. Mm -hmm. They're giving them what what they call the true death, which is, like, they can't be resurrected. They can't be brought back to life. Uh, And it's kind of like a religious mission for them. It's an oblivion or a nirvana or what have you. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I actually have written down here in my notes... uh, about that exact thing but maybe not maybe yeah. i don't have that written down i don't have that written down never mind but uh but one person that gives us a huge uh lore dump if you're willing to kind of play conversation with him is this scribe named doll yeah and i love this conversation because when you initiate conversation with doll doll's like asleep or in a trance of some kind or perhaps doesn't hear you because Doll might have a hearing problem. And Morty continues to say, hey, don't talk to this person. And you can, like, keep going and, like, and, and keep, like, trying asking him questions. And Morty will interrupt you a few times. And after, you know, a, a several times, the guy will pay attention to you. It seems to me like it's totally possible to, like, disengage this conversation and heed Morty's advice if you wanted to. I think you can almost... This is not a hundred percent, but you can make your way to the plot necessary portions of this game and learn basically nothing about the world. That's great. if you so want. There, yeah, there is there is some wide ranging ability, and like you were talking about earlier with with talking with Mort about his uh, like just getting the lore dump about the dustman and all of that kind of stuff. Right, you can spend ten fifteen minutes in just reading every single question that yeah. Uh, that an NPC allows you to ask them. And for some of them, I mean, for Doll, it's like seven possible conversation trees to go down. Oh, yeah. There there are two main branches, and each branch has four to six possible answers. And you, you can go back and continue to ask. And uh, and you'll your journal will update on half of them. Like, you'll get actual, you know, actionable intelligence, as it were, um, from a lot of those prompts. It's really cool. Yeah. Unlike, so, you know, the one line you get out of a conversation in Baldur's Gate or something. Yeah. But you so can see what, already that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so what would you kind of distill for us? What is, like, the big information you can get from Dahl? So well, I think that the Dahl conversation is really good because he gives you, like, who you are, your con- like, the context of who you are. He calls you the restless one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the conversation, if you can, you know, really move through the whole conversation with Dahl, he's like, yeah, you die all the time mm-hmm. and you keep forgetting your life and you keep showing up here and I keep talking to you. Mm. <laughs> right. Like he, they, like that's the, and he kind of gives you the pitch of the game that, you know, that we'll find out, um, later 
we'll find more about as the game goes on, but that, like, the nameless one is an eternal being or someone who is, like, short-circuited life and death, and that's a problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you this really great kind of way of thinking about the world, which is you can go into a scenario and unlike Baldur's Gate where it's like, well, you go and talk to people and you find out who you think the good guy is and you think who you think the bad guy is and then you figure it out from there. A lot of conversations in this game or scenarios that you go into, there are people there that already have a certain disposition toward you. And mm-hmm. not not you as like, a powerful person or as a wizard or as a ball spawn but you as an individual person and you're you're making choices in the game not necessarily just about like do i want to be good or bad but do i want to be the person i was before or do i want to be a new kind of person mm. and that that changes i think the narrative stakes of a lot of things i think there's like something really powerful about that um, from a narrative perspective. Which, th- there are some parts of what you're saying that is familiar to most modern gamers if you played The Witcher or mm-hmm. Skyrim, right? This idea of people might have opinions about you based on stuff you've done, right? And occasionally, people might have opinions on about you because of stereotypes, not having to do with stuff you've done at all. You know, like somebody might have bad... Uh, like, they might be racist against orcs, for example, in Skyrim or what have you, right? But, the, you're, like, this angle, right, the, the idea that you've lived lifetimes and done things, and there is a baggage that comes with that, that is kind of the really interesting novel aspect of this. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I think a game like The Witcher 3 is almost... It's not unthinkable without Planescape Torment, but I think that we really have to acknowledge the debt that it has, right? Mm-hmm. That that The Witcher 3 is a game that says, hey, there are two games in front of this that are in continuity that have real effects on this world, but you don't have to play them at all. And we mm-hmm. are going to ride around that in such a way that Geralt has his own identity and things that he has done. Mm-hmm. And you will be responding to those things, like real practical scenarios. I just think that like there's such a clear line being drawn from these games. Yeah, I, the I, I, it does draw me back to like the first thirty minutes or so of Witcher when you like have conversation with those Imperial folks and they they start talking about these events that you were engaged in. Mm-hmm. Although I think that Planescape kind of has this interesting advantage in that. Geralt, the character, knows what those people are talking about, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this game, the nameless one does not know what they're talking about, and I don't know what they're t- talking <laughs> about. So you have like yeah. some ludo narrative consonants there. Yeah, I really like. Um, I I I to some degree I like this solution of of narrative solvent solvency. I guess mm-hmm. more than I like the like Mass Effect 1, 2, 3, import the save game model. Mm. Or like Baldur's Gate 1 to Baldur's Gate 2, even though like choices don't import in between those things. Mm-hmm. Um, in that like you you have nothing to do with the thing that happened before in this game, right? You are mm-hmm. purely responsive. Whereas in like Mass Effect 3, it's very powerful to know that you like helped cure the, the genophage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It feels like more intentional. It feels like you have access to that interiority. Whereas here you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and this game ends up playing with that in really cool ways, I think. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we kind of talk to 
doll, kind of the first uh, dust man we see. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I have one. Wait, hold on. Oh, I have yeah. one more thing to talk about doll. What I really like about this doll conversation is you can ask him certain things, and he'll give you like a vague answer. And within the answer tree to that that response, you can push him on the same question, and mm-hmm. it's only after pushing two or three times on that question that he'll answer. Yeah. Right, that like it's a real conversation. You really are having to kind of be like, no, no, no. What I want to know is this, and he'll give you a side answer, and you're like, no, no, no. I really want to know about where Farad is, for example. And he eventually, I mean, that's one of the conversation trees here, right? Is he reveals that Farad is like a corpse collector, and that the people in the mortuary buy corpses from him, and that's how you got there. Yeah. So, I think that that's interesting, just because it lets you role play somebody who's pushy. Whereas mm-hmm. in Baldur's Gate, when I went through a, a line and they didn't answer the first time I asked, I'd be like, well, that's just not information I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the gist of, like, the big stuff Doll gets, gets us is, we're the restless one, we keep dying, we can't remember, Ferret is some person who keeps dragging us back in. Either he dragged us in the last time, or he's habitually dragged us. And, uh... And I think that I can ask, hey, what about my journal? And Dahl's like, well, if it's worth anything, Farad probably has it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he does say something to that effect. Yeah. Now, a couple more pie slices uh, clockwise, and we meet kind of the next character that isn't just a zombie uh, walking around. And this is Iveen? 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 That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't like Irene, but Iveen. Mm-hmm. And who is or what is Iveen? So, I I really like this this character, mm-hmm. um, even though it's like a side quest giving character, basically, right? This is like you know the the dwarfs or the gnomes that own the friendly arm in in some ways, right? So one one conversation character, or mm-hmm. is presented to you as a one conversation character. But it's a chiefling, and, like, Mort explains to you that, like, because you can ask, like, what the hell's a chiefling? Yeah. And he's like, well, it, somewhere in their family tree, someone had sex with a demon. Yeah. And but so in, it, in in coarser terms. Yes. Um, yeah. He's he's kind of a, a dirty skull in that way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so he's like, yeah, someone there. And so so Ivine is, like, this this uh, a woman, uh, I, I uh, think, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, but who ha- whose fingers are like these long claws? They're, they're yes. you know inhuman looking claws, and but she uses them to do like surgery. She's repairing these corpses to then turn into zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you talk to her, and she like doesn't respond to you. And you can and Mort's like we don't need to talk to her, but you can keep pushing and like stand in her way and eventually touch her. And she turns around and she says, "Hey, uh, you know, bring." She says, bring thread and bring um, embalming fluid. Yes. And you can kind of wander around and find thread and embalming fluid and bring it back. And you give it to her. And then she like does, she finishes up her job on this little little, um, zombie that she's working on. And then she turns to you and she like finally looks at you. And then you get this whole like additional little conversation tree. Yeah. So I kind of knew about this like conceptually, but yeah, I want to hear what you... It kind of the first thing snuck up on me in in that I I may I may have clicked through it a little too early to but I but I scrolled back and to kind of got the got the gist of it in that 
basically when I talked to her and after I did that quest, there was a pseudo flashback and I remembered something from a previous life. Specifically, I remembered that I put something in the rib cage of a skeleton or of a zombie. Mm-hmm. And I got experience points and I was kind of told, oh, you remember something from before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting. This kind of, you haven't played Pillars of Eternity. Mm-hmm. There's some consonants here in, in some Pillars of Eternity stuff. Yeah. So there is, yeah. So these are called echoes. Like mm-hmm. it's a, a mechanic, I, I guess mechanic is probably the best way of expressing it, but it is a feature of this game. And yeah, the uh, next Torment, Torment Tides of Numenera game, which I, I, to some degree, I think we should play this game and then immediately play that game. I think, I, yeah, I was just thinking that. I think that we should kind of stick with our, go with the franchise irrespective of chronology, right? The same way that we we did uh, Siege of Dragon Spear, quote-unquote, out of, we did it out of chronological order, but in thematic order. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we should stick with that. But it leans very hard into the Echo stuff. And, and like, Echoes come up a lot over the course of this game. This is, like, a very common uh, occurrence. But mm-hmm. in that game, it is, like, every two minutes you are getting an Echo of something. And it introduces a huge number of choice trees. And it, it actually creates... There is a, um, like, a set of resources you end up with like different resources that allow you to to access different echoes of a past life so it leans even heavier into it because you have some sort of like understanding of how to access it it's Mm -hmm. you're literally accessing previous versions of yourself so it kind of makes it more of a uh mechanic-y kind of thing yeah um but but echoes are very cool um so yeah so we find out that we put something inside of a, a zombie that's labeled 42 Mm Hmm. Um, and then she does an additional thing too, which I think is very cool. She like starts looking at you mm-hmm. and then she's like, Oh, like you're all scarred up, buddy. She doesn't say this. She like talks in two word sentences. Yeah. But she says you're all scarred up. And then she, then she says, I think, uh, let me look here. She says only hivers would do that kind of work, mm. which is like this world building one line. Like I, I didn't see the word hiver anywhere else. I don't think in this mortuary. I saw the word hive, uh, one other place. Okay. Um, yeah, if you go if you go deep with uh, Doll, or, or actually, it may have actually been with a character you didn't talk to that, uh, could be it. that, I'll, that I'll talk about later. But yeah, I may have seen Hyde one other time. But yeah, this is a thing that like I've written about this kind of storytelling before. Whoops, I'm running into my microphone. But uh, and I've called it like evocation uh, mm-hmm. in Destiny and in Star Wars. I've written about something that I've called the evocation effect. The idea of like kicking out to something that doesn't exist in the scene as a way of like blowing up the world and i really felt that here that that she was like you have encountered some other organization in this world that has done something to you and that's really like to the side of whatever we're talking about here but it but that's what happened and mm-hmm. then she like touches all your scars and fixes them she she i guess you know unscarifies you with her fingers. yeah she starts uh you can opt out of this at any time, it seems, and Morty is insistent, hey, this is weird. Or also, he's making, like, sexual innuendo, like, are, are you into this? Mm-hmm. Um, but she starts uh, stitching you up, basically, and kind of pouring this embalming fluid over your scars. And if you, like, stay still and, like, allow her to do that work, uh, you get, like, a little, uh, it's another little quest, and you get a, you get an additional plus one max hit points. Yeah. So there's like a mechanical 
there, there's an interesting narrative payoff that there's like some sort of care that's happening here that she's like giving you something in trade for mm-hmm. what you did for her um and that like the, your ways of interacting with the world are very different and, mm-hmm. and yet you're able to like meet on this thing and also you know there's like a straight up mechanical payoff that if you introduced into Baldur's Gate would make it uh I don't know it would be min maxi too much I think yeah I don't know it's uh it's it's too early in the game for me to know like kind of the implications that I've heard you say that this could be this is potentially a very combat light game. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't I don't know be. where I stand stand on that, but uh, I think it's a very it's a very cool. All of the dialogue options I have been in, exposed to thus far have been very cool, like very interesting, mm-hmm. in a way that I have not experienced like felt in god 44 other episodes (laughs) well that's why i think is interesting too is that i don't even think that siege of dragon spear hits this yeah uh which is which is uh an interesting uh thing Mm -hmm. but yeah so then we have the option you know there's more more uh pie pieces Mm -hmm. you know um and we can go up some stairs Right? Yeah, up some stairs. Yeah, so you basically, when you go all the way around, you can go upstairs. We start on the second floor, and you can go upstairs. And um, it's interesting. There's this dustman, and I don't know if you initiate dialogue or he just kind of initiates dialogue with you. And they see you, and you have an option of they're asking, like, what are you doing up here? Like, are you lost? And you have an option of snapping this person's neck. I initially said, oh, I'm just kind of lost. Could you help me out? (laughs) Could you help me, like, get out of here? And he says, oh, let me get you help. And then bells start ringing and every single thing in the mortuary turns aggro. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so you you went with that option. That's the, yeah, I went with that option. Yeah, so I I like that this game gives you two pretty deep narrative things and then hits you with a straight up trolley problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like is your first real combat encounter yeah like do you you kill one guy you kill a bunch of people Mm -hmm. um and you can steal his clothes there's like a disguise mechanic in this game yes you can steal his clothes you can put them on and presumably if you had not uh done the whole you know world aggro here you could just walk around and pretend you were a dustman, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think that you kind of reach a point of no return where once you go aggro, putting on the uh, the robes doesn't matter because, like, the bell's already rung, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I guess you have to, like, find a way to get an outfit before kind of, like, you reach a point of no return. But, uh, yeah, interesting. I, I, I may go back and, like, play with other options of, like, overcoming this um you can very easily run away from virtually every enemy in this in this area they're all quite quite slow um so even with all aggro you can just kind of run around yeah the Um, game is very clear it's it tells you very early in the morty tells you he's like hey if you're getting hurt just run away i turn another another option i turned on is always run yes same so i don't have to hold down whatever button it is shift yeah um 
So up in the third floor, there's all kinds of interesting stuff. There is a iron pry bar, yes. which allows you to, which is just a weapon, and it also allows you to, you know, God forbid, pry open locks. Yeah, it is just a straight up real world Gygaxian simulationist idea, mm-hmm. right? Of mm-hmm. like, if you find a, a crowbar, you can use it to do things you would do with a crowbar, which is pry open anything and everything you get near. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yes, of course. Of course. You can have a um, plus five greatsword and not be able to smash a door open, though. Yeah. Baldur's Gate. <laughs> the, um, but once you have that pry bar, you can get an additional key here that opens. I guess like it's kind of a master key. It opens all the doors. Mm-hmm. And you can also find like a few charms, including like a curved, um, a curved uh, bone finger of some sort. Hmm. There is a, before I went up to the third floor, I actually met a zombie that you did not meet. He's actually in the room after uh, Evine. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's zombie 821, which I guess all these zombies have like uh, numbers carved in them or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to zombie 8, 821 and in zombie language, zombie 821 asks you some like really suspicious, weird questions. And uh, Morty kind of makes some comments. Is like, this is kind of a little off. And eventually it's revealed Zombie A21 is not a zombie. It is some hu- living human dressed up as a zombie. Just pretending he's undercover. Pretending he's undercover, exactly. And you can, you can completely ignore this character. You can get information from this character. Like this character like tells you about the portals and tells you how to open activate the portals. Um, this character you can act you can pretend like you're a member of this person's sect, which I didn't really catch because it's my first playthrough. I bet if you play it a second time you'll like know whatever faction he's referring to. Something about Arcanists or something. Mm, okay. Um and uh, you can pretend you're a member of his sect and be like, hey, I'm here to relieve you. Give me your stuff. And he'll give you some supplies. Oh. Like all kinds of interesting stuff. So I don't even think you saw that guy, right? I did not. I was not like looking for things. And I also never found that zombie 42. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't really look. The one the one that had the, uh, the thing in the... The one that had the thing in the ribcage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the third level, apparently. Did you, uh, you didn't find it either? I didn't find it. It was only afterwards on sorcerers.net, the location for all of your Infinity Engine game needs. Sorcerers.net, you gotta start paying us. <laughs> you gotta start giving us money. <laughs> we run promo for you every time, but yeah, so you went back and, after you did the level, you went and checked out. Yeah, yeah. Just to see what was up. Just to see what was up. Sorcerers.net. For all your seeing what's up needs. So, and yeah, so I went around and I like gathered all this stuff. And like you were saying, there's charms in this game, which is kind of like the equivalent to potions in Baldur's Gate. Just stuff that gives you fire resistance or, you know, whatever. More attack Mm -hmm. power, that kind of thing. Sneakiness. Um, But the the last, I think, I I guess there's two other things. So at the very bottom, uh, uh, the bottom floor where you're going to leave the mortuary, presumably, you can go into a big, big old room, and it is full of giant skeletons. 
Yeah, big mega skeletons. <laughs> mega skeletons. They just wreck your your face, just really eat your lunch. Yeah, I've got like 22 hit points, and I was like, oh, you know, I fought a bunch of stuff, because I also like goofed up and got attacked and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll fight these things one by one. And they hit me, and it was like 11 hit points, 13 oh. hit points, like hitting me very hard, so I had to run away. Um, so that's one thing here. And I was like kind of looking for the exit and I couldn't find it. And then I found a ghost, like a legit ghost, a legit ghost. Um, I believe, uh, I believe doll mentioned, Hey, uh, cause he doll mentions, Oh, you and you're always getting other people into trouble. And I was like, what other people am I getting into trouble? And he's like, well, there's, there's one downstairs. Yeah. He says like that the people who travel with you often end up here. Mm -hmm. which implies that maybe you are not the best traveling companion if they all end up in the mortuary. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she is interred, he says uh, here. And she actually so shows up in that opening cinematic too. Uh, it's like a ghost lady. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's her. And her name is Dianara? 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 Mm -hmm. Something like that? I'd say the D. D Dianara? She's a ghost. And she says all kinds of stuff. Maybe Dianara. Like Dayanara. a deity. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um yes she recognizes me immediately um and it's interesting because you can you can kind of intimate look i don't remember you at all you can lie and say oh i totally do remember you dianara you can uh you can say oh maybe i remember you but I, i'm not 100 percent sure and she tells you a lot of stuff that you kind of learn from dolls. She basically says, hey, um, you're dying over and over again. You're losing your memory. It's obvious that you're not only accumulating physical scars, you're accumulating mental scars because your, your memory is, is compromised here. Um, and you can convince her... You can convince her to tell you ab ab about the future... Yeah, she says, like, I know your fate, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe there's some kind of stuff like she's pierced the veil because she's a ghost and she's dead. Um, something. But yeah, she she says that she she knows your future and she'll tell you if you make an I, and I love this. Like, I think that this is super, super cool storytelling and like player choicey kind of stuff. Right. But she says, I'll tell you your future if you vow to come here and either be with me forever or get me out of here because she's like interred here, mm -hmm. and you get some. You get a bunch of options. You get like five options, but the three critical ones is you can say I vow to do it. You can mm -hmm. say I vow to do it, and like in parentheses it says lie, mm. and then it says I. You know I'm not doing that. And there's a couple versions of I'm not doing that. Yeah, some harder than others. Yeah, yeah. You can like straight up reject it, and I I vowed like I truthfully vowed. And said that mm -hmm. I would come back and, and get it. I did that too. It just felt felt right, didn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but that's really good. And like, you know, presumably there's some sort of consequence if you don't do that. I guess. That's the real interesting stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if there is no consequence, the fact that it is indeterminate at this point, if there is or not... Is, is good. Like, the mystery of what will happen if I have lied to her, if I just managed not to do it somehow. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's the idea that I... 
It's kind of the uh, the issue with like the Until Dawn games. It doesn't even matter if it matters. It's just yeah. our expectations around that mattering. A hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is also very cool. And if you hadn't picked it up uh, until this point, I think Dayanara will uh, will kind of fill you in on how to get out of here via the portal. Yeah, she says there are portals all over here, and uh, the problem is finding the key. The key can be anything. It can be a memory. It can be a you know, a stick. It can be mm-hmm. anything. Oh, she also repeatedly calls you my love. <laughs> this is maybe important to say. And the strong implication is this is like your romantic partner from mm-hmm. some previous life. I think you can, I think there's some, uh, there's some responses you can give that reciprocate the sentiment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she says there's portals and I just wandered around and one like exploded in front of me just appeared yeah i wasn't really quite sure how i triggered it um, it's just you have to get close enough i'm pretty sure like i i knew which area of the map the portal was going to be in and i missed it for quite a while until i like hugged the wall well the weird thing is like what what's the key to it the crooked finger like this uh, bone the bone charm oh okay mm-hmm. hmm. how'd you figure that out though uh, zombie eight twenty one told me. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so you do that and you go through it, and it like spits you out in like a uh, like a sepulcher, a tomb, a tomb, like a straight up uh, graveyard district from Baldur's Gate two tomb. Yes, uh, maybe a little bit better lit even. And uh, then you come out of that, and you're in sigil. You're like in the city, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I saved the game and turned it off. I, I turned it off immediately after the mortuary because I was tired. And you you like open palm slammed <laughs> this this game off so hard that you accidentally deleted your footage. Is yeah, that correct? I, uh, I corrupted the footage <laughs> because like I OBS did not close properly, <laughs> uh, which is which is how hard he turned this game off. So uh, mm-hmm. you've probably seen my footage looped a couple times at this point. Yeah. Um and that and that's why. Now you know. Just play the uh you know, you'll you'll edit in the um you'll edit in the opening uh cinematic both mm-hmm. at the beginning of it and when we're talking about it. Mhm. Uh, and the, then several times at the end. And just like a bunch of beautiful beam footage in the middle there. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh gosh. Well, I are you are you excited about digging into the rest of the I story? am excited. I I am very optimistic that that, uh, I, I don't know if it was a Redditor or a YouTube commenter or somebody in the Discord, but I'm very optimistic that they, and I, and I believe that they might be wrong. I don't think that uh, our our kind of uh, fatigue vis-a-vis uh, Baldur's Gate is going to carry over into this franchise. Yeah, I hope not. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly don't feel that way right now. Yeah. Um, just some general kind of stuff. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash ranged touch. You can, of course, see this video and other videos if for some reason you're not on YouTube right now at youtube.com slash ranged touch. You can uh, find our Patreon details down at the bottom of uh, in the description of this video. Uh, if you want to support us uh, for a dollar a month, you can get our newsletter. And uh, for $5 a month, you get an additional podcast. We're about to record that podcast right now. Um, mm-hmm. After this, you're going to get all kinds of 
cool, fun information uh, that comes out. Uh, there's going to be an additional podcast in the Range Touch Network or additional show. Um, you know, check out our Twitter for information on that. I don't want to spoil anything here. Thanks so much to uh, to John Fio. And hold on, let me pull up the rest of the information. I don't have it in front of me, but we have a brand new theme, as you absolutely heard at the beginning of this episode, and you'll hear it again at the end. But mm-hmm. it is made by Audio Sprite, aka John Fio, um, and Gina Moffat is the. Um, is the, the the vocals on that. I think the song is very good. Have you listened to it yet? I have. It is it is very good. Yes, it is. It, is it, it keeps getting... Good. So when you... Uh, this is maybe inside baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll save it for the Patreon podcast. Okay. If you want to hear me ask uh, Kunzman questions about how uh, he arranges the, mu- the music and how he prompts it, please to, please give us $5 a month. Oh, yeah. Out. That'll be... I will, I, you know what? In that podcast, I'm going to talk all about how I uh, commissioned the themes for this show. Yes. The, the technical details. Mm-hmm. Minute by minute. I'm leaking <laughs> all the emails. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Citizen 4. <laughs> uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but no. Uh, so that... Um, and thanks to Silverskin for the cartoon versions of us that that uh, will continue to appear on uh, all these things. I think that's all of our collaborators. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Next thanks episode so will be out in two weeks. T- tune in. Tune in. Buckle up. Bu- buckle in. Ciao. Oh, man. Ciao.